0: Colin. And I'm Megan. And this is Pet Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional,
1: Confessional, an open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter.
0: Brought to you by Time to Pet. Well, hello and welcome back, friends and fellow pet sitters. A while back, we had Miguel Rodriguez, owner of City Dog Pack, on to discuss what dog walking was like in New York City in the heart and in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, today, we're having him back on for a full-length, much longer, much more in-depth interview. Miguel is widely recognized for doing dog pack walks, as well as being heavily involved in dog training. On today's episode, Miguel shares where all of that passion came from. Miguel also shares some basic training skills that every pet sitter should have in their tool belt and how social media has been so critically important to him and how he uses it really effectively. Now let's get started.
2: So my name is Miguel Rodriguez. I started City Dog Pack back in uh, 2010, April 2010. So this uh, coming April will be our uh, 10th year anniversary. Uh, I was in the Marines prior to starting my business. Uh, I was an infantryman and, and a rifleman. Uh, but we had a lot of, uh, canine handlers attached to us. Uh, and when I was deployed to Iraq in 2007, uh, we patrolled with bomb dogs and I was always close with the, uh, canine handler. So, uh, we just hang out with them and they would just show me a lot of, uh, dog training techniques and how they took care of the dogs and how they managed them every day. And, uh, prior to joining the Marines, I always had dogs and I was always, uh, obsessed with dog training. Like I would, uh, train uh, stray dogs that lived in my neighborhood because I lived in a really tough neighborhood in Brooklyn. And there were a bunch of stray dogs in the street. So I would just feed them and train them in the street and have them follow me to school every day. Um, So um, once I got into the Marines, I already had knowledge of dogs and they found out that I I knew a lot about dogs and they saw me hang out with canine handlers every day. So uh, they sent me to a course called uh, Combat Handlers Course where uh, you use dogs to track people down and and find people. Hmm. So I did that and um, when 2009 came around, it was time for me to make a decision whether I wanted to stay in the Marines or get out. And uh, I decided to get out the Marines because it was just, I went on two combat deployments. I got hurt really bad when I was in Iraq and I just had enough. So I just wanted to get out and go to college and use my GI bill. But I still had bills to pay for when I got out and I wasn't gonna have any more income from the military. So I was figuring out a a job that I can do to pay the bills while I went to school so I figured I'll be a dog trainer so once I got out of the Marines uh, I moved back to New York City and uh, I signed up for a dog training school in New York and got certified as a a master dog trainer and I started offering the people dog training Uh, no one knew who I was so at first it was impossible to get clients Mm. so what I would do is I would walk around New York City and if I saw someone with a dog that was pulling them on the leash or someone with a unruly dog i would just go up to them and ask them if they've done training i'll explain to them my background i'll give them my card and i told them that i would train their dog for free um, if they didn't like the results they were always pretty happy with the results um, so they would refer their friends to me and then it just kind of ballooned from there and uh, from there people would ask me for other services such as dog walking and dog boarding so i fit those in and it started off as something me to do while I was attending school mm-hmm. but then once I graduated school um, I was I was planning to be a canine handler for a police department so I graduated from St. John's and I applied for a few jobs and there was one police department that was a very high-paying police department it's a really cool place to work they offered me a job but I was kind of at a a point where my business was growing and I had a decision to make and decided to stick with city dog pack and and grow the business. And so far I don't regret it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That is quite the awesome backstory. I mean, you've really been involved with and training dogs for years and years at this point. And, and you've been able to at each step translate it into something new. And I just love the fact that whenever you first started, you were walking around just going up to people and asking them if you could train their dog. Like that's what, what, motivated you to just jump out there and, and ask people on the street? Because to me, that, like, that sounds kind of terrifying for someone like me. Like, I, I would think there'd be a little more intro or things like that. But that, that, that seems like a really big leap for, for somebody to take.
2: Yeah. Uh, what motivated me at first was my bank account. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I was just living off of my savings that I had from the two, con- two deployments I went on in the Marines. Sure. Uh, I was living off of those savings. And I was just, there was no money coming in and living in New York City, the cost of living here is just absolutely ridiculous. So, uh, you know, business wasn't knocking my door down. So I just knew how to get out there and get people to notice me. And even doing that wasn't really moving the needle very much. What really changed everything was, I believe in 2011, it was about a year after I started City Dog Pack, I figured I, I got to do something to, to you know, get more customers, get people to notice me. because. There were a lot of dog train there are a lot of dog trainers in the city that make huge amounts of money like dog training companies and uh, dog boarding companies mm-hmm. uh, but they started off with millions and you know they market very well but they don't get the results that I was getting with you know the few customers that I had I just needed people to notice who I was so what I did was uh I was thinking about offering an activity for dogs that Most people didn't offer in New York city. And when I was in the Marines, I used to hang out with the canine handlers. We did a lot of dog agility training Mm. with the the canines we had there. And I just remember, I just, I fell in love with it as soon as I did it in the Marines because just seeing these dogs jump over hurdles, run through hoops, jump through hoops, uh, scale these, these six foot walls. It was just amazing. And I figured if I can teach dogs in New York city, how to do that. And then have Pedestrians walking by and seeing that class, mm. I knew I would get a lot of exposure. Oh yeah, but I didn't have any. Yeah, I didn't have any money to purchase the equipment. So what I did was uh, I had about three hundred bucks in my account left. So I took those three hundred bucks and went to Home Depot. I just bought a bunch of plywood and a PVC pipe, and I just made a bunch of uh, makeshift dog agility equipment. And uh, I got a permit for a park in New York City. Uh, they gave me a wide open space to work with, and I offered the classes for free. Um, I just took donations just to maintain the equipment. And uh, I didn't make any much money off of it, but it gave me a lot of exposure. And that's what really kicked off.
0: Yeah, especially being able to find something with such high visibility as in a park. Because that was one of the things I was curious about is where you do the training itself. And and it sounds like you're doing it in just open air parks and just on, on the streets that you're walking along.
2: When you actually conducted dog training, you wanted to stimulate their real life situations as much as possible. Mm. So if um, you know, someone's having a, a problem with uh, leash etiquette, okay, with dogs pulling on the leash, I want to train with the owners and the dogs in the streets that the dog normally walks in. Uh, I live about an hour away from the city, and it's very country-like where I live. So when it comes to leash etiquette training, I can train a dog on the leash where I live, but it's not going to do much when the dog goes back to New York City. And with all that stimulation, all the cars, or the pedestrians, yeah. it's different. So yeah. I do the training in, in the person's home mostly and in the streets wherever the dog's uh, normal, normal environment is. That's, I think it works best that way.
0: Mm. So, so you, you work both in, kind of out, outside New York City, but you're also doing in, in the city walks. How do you balance time between those two very different environments?
2: So it, it's a challenge, definitely. But the key thing is having a good team to help you. Uh, so, for example, uh, what I do is I, I do dog boarding in my home. Uh, I reserved when I bought this home as a new construction. I made sure that I had an open space in the basement where I can uh, board dogs. So I have about a thousand square feet in the basement and the dogs pretty much have their own apartment down there. Mm. So uh, I had the floor sanded and sealed so that if the dogs make a mess, it doesn't like penetrate through the floor. Like what it does with like carpet or, or hardwood floors. Mm -hmm. I did that. I put in good lighting. I had nice windows, furniture. So, so I did that. So usually if I'm very busy with dog boarding or if I'm doing a board and train program with a dog, I stay home with the dogs and my team handles most of the walks. Okay. And uh, I usually go into the city about three or four times a week to pick up and drop off dogs. And while I'm there, I'll do some walks as well. And I'll do some training there as well.
0: Talk to us a little bit more about your, your team that you've surrounded yourself with over the years.
2: Shortly after I started the uh, dog agility course, I started to get very busy. But then I started to get very overwhelmed as well. And uh, I was a very good dog trainer, a very good uh, uh, dog walker. And I was very good at you know, providing good care for dogs overnight but I was a horrible businessman. Mm. Yeah. I, felt, I felt like I could just do it all by myself. I, I just had this attitude that I couldn't trust anyone with my dogs. But the service I was providing started to decline. That's what started to happen was I was showing up to dogs late. Um, I was overbooking a training session. So I had to cancel uh, training sessions last minute. And I just realized that I wasn't offering my customers the standard of service that I, I set for myself. Mm. So I just knew that the only way I can do this is if I surround myself with a good team. And so I started hiring different people. Um, I started to, if I saw a dog walker in the street that looks like he was very engaged with his dogs and he looks like he enjoys his job, I would just talk to him and say, Hey, you know, who do you work for? Are you happy there? And uh, I would just tell him, Hey, uh, I need a dog walker to join me. I pay this much. If you're interested, let me know. And then sometimes I get a call back. Hmm. And that's worked out pretty well for me. Or um, also in the neighborhood, I was, I was still living in Brooklyn at the time when I first started hiring people. Um, it was just a neighbor that I had, uh, Angel. Uh, he's one of my, he's one of my uh, best walkers I have now. He's been walking dogs for me for seven years. Mm, wow. I met with him and I asked him if he wanted to work with me. And I trained him and I showed him exactly how I wanted him to walk the dogs. And he did a great job. And from there, I, just, uh, I picked up five more dog walkers. And right now I have seven dog
0: walkers working for me. Wow. That's awesome. Over the years, what catches your eye about a dog walker that makes them stand out to you?
2: So if I see a dog walker that's always on his cell phone, <laughs> right there, that I, I cross that off. I see that all the time. Mm. A dog walker who has control of his dogs. If he's walking multiple dogs and he has control of them, they're not yanking him on the on the leash. That's a good dog walker. Mm. A dog walker who actually, uh, you know, I, I watch them. If they're, If they're waiting to cross the street And they're just kind of like not even looking at their dogs. I cross them off as a prospect. But if I see them looking down at dogs, interacting with them, you know, giving them a little head scratch every once in a while, talking to them, then I know that that's a dog walker that that's engaged, Mm -hmm. that knows how to handle dogs, and enjoys his job. And that's what I look for in a good dog walker when I try to recruit someone off the street.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're really looking for someone who's, who's present, who's engaged, and is really you know enjoying themselves. And it doesn't seem like a, a drudgery, but they have control at all times.
2: Absolutely. Because the thing is, when it comes to this job, whether you want to be a dog walker or a dog sitter, you really have to love dogs. Mm. You can't just like dogs or just tolerate them. You have to love dogs because this job will... You'll become miserable because the dogs would drive you crazy if you don't really love them. You don't have a passion for dogs. Yeah. And I see it all the time. And even when I first started hiring people, I figured if I could just get someone with a good work ethic that's willing to show up every day, I can train them up and they'll do well, even if they don't really like dogs too much. Hmm. But I learned very quickly that that's not the case at all. Because if you don't like dogs and you're around multiple dogs every day and they're on top of you all the time, you don't know how to handle them, they'll drive you crazy. You become miserable and you're not going to provide this amount of service that I want you to provide. Mm. So it's very important to really love dogs and have a dog yourself. That's one thing. When I, whenever I hire someone or if I'm inter- interviewing someone, one of the first questions I always ask is, do you have a dog? And if they say no, always ask them why. Mm. And if they can't have one because of their apartment or something like that, I understand that. But if they don't have one for no reason, then that kind of raises
0: a red flag. Sure, if they respond with, oh, could you imagine being around them all the time? That's probably yeah. a really big... <laughs> so, exactly. So that, that's a really great question. So, so what, what, uh, do, do, you, do you have dogs currently? <laughs>
2: yes, uh, I, I had two dogs. My dog, who's my best friend for 14 years, Boomer, he was a 100-pound American Bulldog. I, I got him when I was in the Marines, and he was actually supposed to be a, a Marine dog, mm. but he turned out to be way too friendly. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there's a funny story with him he passed away uh, Memorial Day uh, earlier this year.
1: Oh, I'm and so sorry.
2: So, yeah, it's fine. He, he had a, a very interesting life, that dog. And he was a, he was a great dog. Mm. Um, so right now, I just have a, a seven-year-old Yorkie that I inherited from my wife.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're, you're very active in, in your writing a lot um, on, on blogs, on your Instagram. And one of them that came up was that you wrote about having a significant other that's also a pet entrepreneur. How do you guys balance work and family life? Um, And then do you guys ever find yourselves working together?
2: Yeah. So she actually, she wasn't involved with dogs uh, professionally until she met me. Um, She was actually a model for many years prior to meeting me. And uh, now she goes to school to be a nurse and she helps me with the business as well. Okay. She handles uh, most of the bookkeeping. I hate doing bookkeeping. (laughs) And uh, her dad owns a, a big accounting firm so she she said work with him so she does all the all the bookkeeping um whenever i have to go into the city to pick up drop off dogs train dogs or walk dogs she takes care of the dogs that we're boarding here in my house Hmm. and um pretty much you know if i get sick if i get injured um she handles everything so we just have a really good partnership It, it can be a little bit tough when you're in this industry especially when you work with dogs so intimately dogs are in your house every day it could be tough if, once again, you don't if you have a significant other that's not into dogs like you. It could be tough, so it's really important <laughs> that I married someone that loves dogs as much as I do because you have to deal with the barking, you have to deal with the dog hair, you have to deal with uh, having to stay in on the weekends. Because I, I would imagine you, like with your dog boarding, you're probably most busy on the weekends. That's mm-hmm. when people travel the most. Yeah. Um. So on the weekends we can't really do much. We have to stay in. So there's a lot of sacrifice involved, but you have to be with someone that, once again, loves dogs as much as you do and understands the business. And then from there, it's just, it's just a partnership. Of course, we bicker sometimes, but uh, we get through it.
0: Yeah, no, I like that picture of, you know, it is a sacrifice on both ends and doing it for the love of dogs and and together for the business you you share a lot of experiences together when you when you work especially in 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 the pet business and pet industry Mm -hmm. um and and you you do develop just a lot of really neat interesting stories uh and um and when you're both so invested in it it really helps out um in the long run
2: absolutely definitely because if she you know she didn't like dogs at all and she wanted no part of the business I really don't know how to do this by myself. So
0: sure, yeah, it's
2: it's essential, definitely.
0: You mentioned that whenever you get injured, do you are dog walker injuries pretty common, or what? What are some of the the things to watch out for whenever you're um, walking dogs, as far as preventing injuries?
2: So with that, uh, there's there's a lot of different ways you can get injured. Uh, with me. I've been walking dogs for almost ten years, and prior to that, I was in Marines, where we would go on these, you know, crazy twenty-mile hikes with like eighty pounds of gear on. Mm-hmm. So my feet are pretty jacked up at this point. <laughs> um, you know, I have I have small stress stress fractures in my feet, uh, ah. so that's an injury. Um, another, you know, dog bites every once in a while. You can get a dog. just recently, I got a dog bite that got really infected in my hand. I got very sick from that. With dog bites, with experience, you can really reduce the The chance of a dog bite. It was. I was just in a situation where two Yorkies got into a fight, and I just didn't want them to bite each other, so I put my hand in between them, and Mm. one of them latched onto my hand and put a deep hole in my in between my knuckles. Yeah. Um. So when it comes to injuries, just most of the injuries from dog walking are are stress injuries from the constant walking, especially on on the pavement in New York City. Um. But other than that, there aren't many many injuries involved. Usually, it's just stress injuries and uh, dog bites, but that's very that's very rare as well.
0: As far as the dog training goes, how would you describe your, your training philosophy or how you, how you work with them?
2: Sure. When it comes to dog owners, I stress how they interact with their dogs, how they manage their dog's environment. And for their obedience part, uh, I use operant conditioning. And operant conditioning is essentially rewarding the dog for behavior you want. And sometimes when there's a bad behavior that's developed into a really bad habit that's tough to break, sometimes you have to introduce a deterrent to break that habit. A lot of dog trainers disagree with that. And you can read in books and you disagree with that. A lot of dog owners disagree with that as well. But when I mean a deterrent, for an example, a good example I'll give, I had a dog that I was working with. I was walking and boarding a train. It's a very good dog, but the dog was an escape artist. They had an apartment in New York City and had a a house in, in, in the suburbs. And any opportunity this dog would get to get away from its handler or its owner, or run out the house, it would take, and it would just go chase after anything. Mm. Um, so it, it kept happening. So the dog got out of his collar like two or three times with his owner, and almost got hit by a car those three times in New York City. And then there was another incident where she went to her summer home, and she was, and there were some deer uh, outside of her fence, and she had a six foot fence. So this dog saw the deer. Uh, somehow scaled a six foot fence and chased after the uh, deer. Oh my god! Got hit by a sem. Got hit by a semi. Oh. But it just it just nicked the dog in the tail, so mm. that the dog barely got away. Mm. I, at that point, I hadn't started training the dog myself, but I knew of other dog trainers that were working with this dog, and they were using you know positive only methods, you know food rewards, toy rewards. But I told her, I told her that she may have to use a, an e fence. Mm. to protect the dog of course she was resistant towards it she was resistant towards it and she didn't listen and eventually the dog got out the gate again and got hit by a car and broke broke one of his legs Mm. so i told her, look he's got away from you about half a dozen times already he's already been hit by a car you know what are you waiting for Mm. i I told her, at this point is it's not if he's gonna get hit by a car it's, it's when it's gonna happen eventually and one day he's going to get out the fence or he's going to get away from you in the street and you're going to be picking pieces of him off the floor in the street. Mm. It's going to happen. Yeah. Sometimes you have to, you know, paint that picture in someone's head for them to wake up. So I explained that to her. Um, She talked to her husband. They got the e-fence and it was never an issue after that. Mm. It was gone. Um, So sometimes you do have to provide a deterrent when there's a really bad habit that's very hard to break. Sometimes you have to do it to save the dog's life.
0: Yeah, and it's not. it's not an... Always, kind of situation, you know. As you, as you mentioned there, it is. It's a case by case. It's a situational thing that you make that judgment call of what you're wanting to do based on what the what you know what you're actually trying to break and how severe it is.
2: Exactly, because when it comes to you know, I've been in the dog training industry for for almost ten years now, so I've seen all kinds of situations occur. So when you're a dog trainer and you you're trying to figure out what's the best way to train a particular dog. You have to take a lot of things into account. For example, say if I have a customer who has a dog who's barking like crazy, and they've received numerous uh, notices from their building management that they have to get their dog to keep quiet, or else they're going to have to leave or give it a dog. Yeah, I've seen this situation happen many times. So then I ask them, "Have you had a trainer come in here and work with your dog?" Usually they say, "Yes, I've had about two or three trainers, but it didn't work."
1: Mm. And I
2: asked them, "What kind of methods did they use?" And so they tell me that they'd use positive rewards, you know, food. And- I, I tell them, okay, we, we can try that again. I can try my method, but we may have to put a bark collar on this dog. A lot of people don't like the bar collar, but I've seen so many situations where I didn't even offer to use the bark collar. Mm. The dog didn't get any better. And then they end up in a, they end up in a shelter. And we all know usually what happens to dogs that end up in shelters that have you know, severe behavior problems. Yeah. And I've seen so many dogs, you know, get put to sleep when I could just tell them, Hey, you know, give this a try you know, it's not a a permanent solution. It's just to get them to the point where they're not barking so much. And then we can use a positive reinforcement and then we get to the point where your dog doesn't bark anymore and, and it works. So sometimes you have to figure out what's the best thing for the dog, not necessarily the owner for the dog.
0: So kind of on that same vein is, is how much of the training is training the dog versus training the owner?
2: I would say it's 75% the owner and 25% the dog. The hardest part is training humans because it's almost like a a American culture thing. And I wrote a post, a blog post about this on my Instagram recently Mm -hmm. about the differences of behavior of dogs in Europe and America. If you go to Europe, you usually don't see dogs, Yankee people on leash, you know, lunging at other dogs, lunging at other people because people manage their dogs and interact with the dogs differently there in america we, we tend to humanize our dogs treat them like little babies yeah and when you do that these, do- these dogs that are super spoiled that have no structure that have no schedule that have no rules or boundaries so those dogs are nuts <laughs> but it's, it's it's almost like american culture to treat your dog that way i mean how many times do you see the young lady holding a little teacup yorkie and a little chanel bag and and the dogs don't even walk on the floor. For example, I recently had a customer who had a teacup Yorkie, uh, severely overweight, and had no muscle development in his legs. Because mm. she would carry him around in his bag everywhere, and he was biting everyone. She had two kids. She The dog bit everyone in the household. Every every time anyone came near her, the dog would just attack and, and bite. And, Just recently, I was bit by a Yorkie and I got very sick. I got very infected and, you know, it it could be a a serious injury. So I told her, you you need to start treating this dog like a dog. She doesn't want to be a human. She wants to be a dog. Mm. And then she realized that what I was saying was true. And she started taking the dog on walks, taking the dog to the park, you know, giving him some mental stimulation. She was socializing him with different people and different dogs and the dog is great now. In fact, we, we walk the dog every day and he walks with dogs every day and he's doing great.
0: Just that mindset difference of a dog is a dog and, and you can, you know, love it. It can be part of the family, but when you start giving it and treating it like a human, you start breaking some of the structure that the dog needs to be a dog and behave properly and, and mind and, Make it um, so that it, it behaves the way you want it to when you're training it. And, and I, like, I like thinking about that as you, as you were talking.
2: People, when I tell them your dog doesn't want to be a human, your dog wants to be a dog, they assume that me saying you need to treat your dog like a dog, they assume that you don't spoil the dog and you can't give the dog extras. My dogs, they have these expensive orthopedic beds that they sleep on every day. I sleep on a regular spring mattress. <laughs> you know, my dogs, they eat. I cook for my dogs every day. Yeah. I don't feed them dog food. I actually cook for them. Uh, we go on, you know, great hikes. We, we have a lot of fun. You know, they're not allowed on my furniture and they don't have allowed to sleep on my bed. But they have a nice bed right next to me. They sleep right next to me every night. Mm-hmm. So they're still spoiled. Though. They still have great lives and everything. Yeah. But I make sure that they have everything they need as a dog before they get, you know, and, uh, all the spoiling.
0: I think this is kind of leading into something as far as common mistakes that people make when they're training their pets. So other than treating them as a human what are some pitfalls that people fall into either intentionally or unintentionally over time
2: i think people don't uh socialize their dogs enough and when i mean socialize i don't only mean with people and other dogs i mean uh different areas uh you want everyone wants a dog that they can take with them anywhere and they don't have to worry about their dog's behavior but if you stay in, in your apartment all day and you just take your dog on, on you know, 15-minute walks around the block, and then, you know, you want to go visit your friend, you want to go to your friend's pool party that allows dogs, and you, you take your dog there and your dog, you know, poops in your kitchen or something, that's going to be a problem. Mm. So you need to take your dog, you need to expose your dog to different people, different dogs, different areas, different homes, public places. You need to expose them to everything um, so that they're ready for it whenever they do uh, come across those situations. Uh, another thing, people don't manage their dog's environment well enough uh, say, for example, I get a lot of calls from people who tell me their dog is very destructive in the house and they're peeing and pooping everywhere. And they, what the big mistake they're making is not managing the dog's environment enough. Uh, if you have a dog that has a bad chewing problem and you leave every day to work and you give them access to all this stuff to chew in the house, you're rewarding the, you're rewarding the behavior. You're not rewarding them directly, but you're rewarding them through their environment because you're providing an environment with them that suits their chewing. So what you have to do with a dog like that, you have to restrict their access. You have to puppy proof your house completely, which is very difficult to do. Or you could just restrict them to a smaller area where they don't have access to that. Mm-hmm. And just doing that alone without any like formal training, not giving them access to chew on those things for about 30 days would make a huge difference. But a lot of people don't, can't even do that for 30 days.
0: As far as expectations of time, it, you, you know, 30 days, is, is that a pretty standard time when you start really working and being intentional about training? Do, do you see results within 30 days?
2: Yeah. I always tell people, with for my observation with dogs and training dogs all these years, I noticed that bad habits really develop after about 30 days of, of doing that particular habit. And usually it takes about 30 days to break a habit. Mm. So say, for example, you have a dog who, once again, is chewing everything in the house. If you just Keep them in an exercise pen or a crate. Of course, you're gonna have someone come in and give the dog walks. You know, if if you're at work eight hours, but if you just don't give them the access to chew on things for 30 days, and after 30 days you start to wean them off of the playpen pen or the crate, you'll see the dog naturally be less inclined to chew after not having access those 30 days. So 30 days is usually a marker that I use. Some dogs is more, some dogs is less, but that's usually the, the rule of thumb that I give people.
0: As a pet sitter, maybe someone who's just getting into this, they genuinely love dogs and they're, they're very passionate about working in, in it. What are some basic training skills they should have before they start? either doing dog walking or daycares or boardings, that kind of thing? Uh,
2: I don't think they have to have any formal training skills as far as obedience. But one thing, one big piece of advice I give to people who want to do dog boarding, especially out of their home, is have a system that you follow. So you should have a schedule for walks, for feeding, for playing, um, for, uh, for resting. You should have a schedule for that. And you should have rules and boundaries for the dogs when they come into your home um, and be really consistent with them. Dogs love structure and they love a schedule because they love things to be predictable. When things are unpredictable, that's when a lot of behavior comes to surface. If you have dogs in your home you're boarding dogs in your home, and the dog knows that around this time, these times they get walked, these times they get play time, these times they get walked, they get get fed, everything's predictable. So they're not anxious. They know what's coming. They know what's going to happen. And you'll, you, as a, as a dog sitter, you'll have a much better time managing all the dogs you care for. And the dogs will be safer, safer and happier as well. Now, every dog person, whether you're a dog groomer, a dog sitter, a dog walker, should always learn some dog training because it's going to help you. Also, say if you're a dog sitter and you just learn how to teach dogs how to, you know, the, the stay command and, and the come command. If you're home with the dogs, practice with them and when you take that dog back home and you tell the owner hey i taught your dog how to stay and you show them they're gonna love that and they're gonna tell their friends about you they're gonna come back to you and they're gonna brag about and they're gonna show off to their friends and say hey you know i left my i left my dog with this guy for about a week he told him all this stuff of course they're gonna tell their friends about you and you're gonna get a lot of phone calls that's what i did when i started my business so you should read books you know listen to podcasts like this uh watch youtube videos uh there's an online seminars you can go to, to learn about dog training. You should be doing all that stuff. You should be working with dogs.
0: The system, having a system and making it predictable, like when you're boarding and, and even if you're doing pack walks and that kind of stuff, you'd be surprised how short of time it takes for new dogs when they get added to that to catch on and get in with the groove. If you've got two or three other dogs that are know your schedule and then you just add one, that that time it takes for them to learn what's going on and where things are and, and, and how that works is really cut uh, significantly.
2: Yeah, that's so true. It, it's funny because uh, a lot of times with walks, I, I get people who call me to inquire about our walks and they're so concerned because they know their dog pulls on the leash a lot. Their dog is a little bit uh, uh, rambunctious. So they're so worried about having a dog join pack walks, but they just don't understand that their dog behaves like that with them, but when they have a handler that that, that that provides the dog structure and rules, and they have other dogs that are like mentors for that dog, it, it within days, within just a few days, you'll have a dog that yanks their owner all over, all over the place. And within like three days of walking with us, they're walking with dogs in a pack and they're just behaved. I and I always I always joke with people that if you walk around New York City and you see, you can always spot a dog owner from a dog walker.
1: Because
2: mm. a dog walker usually has control of their dog and they're not bringing their dogs to other strange dogs that they don't know without asking permission. But you see these dog owners, they're just, they're, most of them are just clueless, hilarious.
0: <laughs> so, so their recommendation, dog owners, get some basic training and animal handling skills because uh, you, 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 you are noticeable.
2: <laughs> yeah, but it's tough for dogs. I don't blame them either because there's just so much information out there
0: yeah. as
2: far as like how you should handle your dog. And how you should train your dog so you don't know who to listen to. Right. Um, you know, for example, I have all this experience with dog training. I worked with hundreds of dogs every year. I, you know, I've, I've worked with aggressive dogs, dogs, former fighting dogs, uh, dogs who, who have been in and out of shelters, dogs who bark, you know, all these situations that I, I've been through it. And I'll post a, a video on Instagram, that, uh, you know, demonstrating how to train a dog, how to train a dog to sit, how to train a dog to stay, um, behavior issues and in the comments you you see just like all these dog trainers just giving their input and telling telling me how i'm wrong and i don't i don't know what i'm talking about Mm. so you know they see that and they say you know should i listen to this guy or sometimes i'll i'll be working with a customer for about a few weeks we're making you know great leeway with the dog's training we're making great progress the dog is improving and then they'll have a conversation with their neighbor and their neighbor will tell them hey you know, I noticed you switched to a collar from a harness. Uh, do you know that collars can cause uh, what, I had one owner that, that their neighbor told him that a collar can give your dog a stroke because it, it restricts the airway and it can actually, like, cause a blockage and, and give your dog a stroke. Hmm. And she told me that. I said, what does your neighbor do for a living? She's said, he's a dentist. I'm like, okay, <laughs> so will you come to me for, for dental work? Yeah. <laughs> As a consumer, you have to do your research and know who to listen to. Because if you get fooled by someone, shame on you. You should have known who to listen to. listen to. Don't listen to your neighbor that's a dentist. Listen to someone that's been doing this in your community for many years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, they don't go to to doctors asking them how to fix their car or mechanics, what to do about their heart. And so it's, I I do find that in the pet care industry, this multiple and competing viewpoints on things is, it, it seems to be very, so much more amplified than, than, than other industries is. and just how aggressive uh, different opinions are, are pushed and, and, and placed on people and how quickly people sway from one to another unless they've actually done their research. It's, it's pretty shocking to see that happen and just watch it in front of your eyes sometimes.
2: When people ask me my philosophy of dog training, I tell them right now, this is my philosophy.
0: Yeah. But this can change. Yeah. You know,
2: I can learn something new. And completely changed my entire philosophy. is it, I've done that before in the past, mm. and I always joke: dog trainers are like Democrats and Republicans. They just do—they just disagree with each other on on everything. Even if it's an issue that, if you just spoke about the issue non-politically, you know people with just common sense would just agree on it. Mm. But if they know that it's a position that the opposite holds, they'll just disagree with it. Yeah, and that's how dog trainers are. For example, if I if I made a video on Instagram explaining the importance of bark collars and how they shouldn't be used as a primary training source, but they could be something you know, that you can use in conjunction with, with positive reinforcement that could be great for your dog, I'll have these dog trainers say, that's completely wrong. You know, they say, that's wrong. You should do this, this, and that. And I tell them, yes, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do those things that you're mentioning. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that those things that you're mentioning aren't working. And if you, you've been through a few trainers that, that told you that same method is not working. You have to try something else. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying you're incorrect. It does get very ugly. And and that's one of the the problems with using social media, especially when you're giving out information. Mm. You're going to have all these people disagreeing with you. But, you know, what can you do?
0: Have you heard about Time to Pet? Doug, from Bad to the Bone Pet Care, has this to say. Time to Pet has made managing my team and clients so much easier. Our clients love the easy-to-use app and scheduling features, and our sitters love being able to have all of their information
2: organized and easily accessible. My favorite feature is the instant messaging. By keeping conversations
0: on Time to Pet, we are able to monitor our team and ensure nothing ever falls through the cracks. If you are looking for new pet sitting software for your business, give Time to Pet a try. As a listener of Pet Sitter Confessional, you'll get 50% off your first Three months when you sign up at timetopet.com/slash-confessional. So, if someone is interested in pursuing a career in dog training or or becoming more fluent in it, where would you recommend that they start?
2: Uh, Reading books, there are a lot of great books. Um, Just read a lot of books, Uh, like I mentioned before. On YouTube, there's a lot of great information. Learn all methods, Mm. even if there's someone that you don't agree with. Like, for example, right now, I've read so many books on dog training. I've been to so many seminars. I've been to training schools. I, there's still so many things that I can learn. For example, I recently read a book. The first chapter, he says something I completely disagree with. And I could have just closed the book and put it away and decide not to read it because, oh, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But after the first chapter, I learned so many things just from his, from his book alone that if I would have just been so stubborn and just discounted him because I disagreed with him. With him in the first chapter, I wouldn't have learned anything. Yeah. So you have to read all books, um, watch videos on YouTube. Uh, there's some online seminars you can go to that people sell training courses. Use those as well. Mm. Talk to dog trainers, and uh, if there's a, a good dog training school that you can attend to, go ahead and do it. You know, make the money, invest in it, and you'll make the money back from the service that you can provide from people.
0: I I really like what you said there. Is, is learning even from the ones that you might not necessarily agree with. Because there's something to be gleaned even from those people, right? You're not going to disagree with them 100% on 100% of the things that they have to say. There's going to be other things in there that you can pick up. And as you gain experience, you can even take some of those things that maybe you didn't think worked or didn't agree with 10 years ago and see, oh, if I do this little twist or if I do it in this scenario, I can get really good results. And you never would have been able to make that connection if you didn't just read and, and go and learn from try and learn as much as you can from everybody with different viewpoints so that you can be the one that assimilates that information and when somebody asks you about that why don't why aren't you using this method you can you know have reasons for why you're doing what you're doing over and against something else
2: that's a good point you bring up as far as like having reasons for doing you know explaining your rationale as to why things should be this way to a customer Sometimes there's something that I need to explain to a customer, but I don't know exactly how to articulate it to them so that it resonates with them and they actually follow through what I'm telling them to do. Mm. But I'll read a book about that same topic that I was discussing with that customer and the book will articulate it in a way that's just so perfect. And I'll go run back to that customer and say, hey, remember that conversation we had yesterday? <laughs> this is the reason why I want you to do it because of it. And I'll just go right off of the book and I'll learn. I'll just learn how to articulate something. Because dog training, like I said, is 75% the owner.
1: Mm.
2: You know, Getting them to buy into your system, into your philosophy, and, and, and resonating with it. Right. And if you don't know how to communicate to someone, you someone, know, it's going to be a problem. You could be the best dog trainer in the world and be able to train any dog. But if you don't communicate with someone well and articulate things to them in a certain way for them to understand, you're not going to get through to them. And reading these books teaches you how to the way they articulate it to you and the words that they write you can use those same those same words with the, the customers you work with
0: yeah 100 i mean i it, you know the owners might not have time to do that digging and doing that research but as the pet care professional like that's your job you're you're always learning and and trying to gather information and have it on hand to provide and give resources to your 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 customers and your clients when they when they ask or when they need help you know you're the one that they turn to, and so just being equipped and prepared is is you know is part of it. Um, whenever you're dealing with with people in their path. that's
2: why it's always important to constantly learn, constantly learn. I, I mean, I even have people who aren't dog trainers, people on Instagram who uh, recommend a book to me, and I always read it. I always do because even if if I read the entire book and I don't learn anything, but on the last page I learn something. It's worth
0: when you have people come to you and asking for help um, with, their, with their pet, what are some common behavioral concerns that come up kind of time and time again? And how do you go about addressing or overcoming those?
2: Most of the calls I get are for leash pulling, uh, barking in the house, destructiveness in the house, uh, housebreaking, and clinginess, uh, like dogs that need to be right next to their owner or else they start freaking out like crazy. What I try to do with them is I'll sit down with them and have a conversation for about 30 minutes. And I'll ask them a lot of questions with about how they interact with their dog and how they manage their dog's environment. And from there, I'll just explain to them how they're interacting with their dog may be actually contributing to their dog's behavior problems. Mm. And I'll explain to them why. And I'll explain to them the science behind it, the opera conditioning. I'll explain to them uh, my experiences that I've seen. I, I tell them. You know, I see this happen, that this situation that this problem happened with your dog. I've seen this pattern so many times with dog owners. And I've seen that th- these mistakes that these dog owners have made. And I'm telling you now, you're making these same mistakes. So you need to reconsider the way you're interacting with your dog.
1: Mm.
2: And usually, they're open to it. But it's it's a struggle. I'm, the toughest part, once again, is is getting through the dog owners because it gets stressful. Sometimes we have, I have dog owners who uh uh, have a dog that they just are just completely out of control they can't control the dog the dog is peeing and pooping everywhere and destroying the house and i get phone calls 11 o'clock at night from a uh, dog owner was crying saying i don't know if i can do this anymore so you have to be a psychologist also mm. and you have to tell them hey you know stick with it you know i know it's tough and you have to you know motivate them and make them feel better it's it's not an easy job You you have to know uh, human behavior, also not just dog behavior. You have to know dog, <laughs> human psychology, and you know what gets, what motivates people, and uh, also sometimes it could be someone's background. You know, it could be someone who's uh, who's extremely lonely. Maybe they experienced a really bad breakup, and they got a dog, and they got this dog to fill a void for them. Mm. So they spoil the dog, they treat the dog like a baby. The dog goes crazy, and, and then they have to get rid of the dog, and I have to explain to them you know, maybe, you know, why did you get this dog? Ask them, like, well, why did you get this dog? And if I tell them, you know, maybe you got this dog for the wrong reasons, you need to like change the way you see your dog. A lot of times that's when the magic happens and mm. they kind of get this epiphany, and uh, the dog's behavior probably gets a lot better after that.
0: Yeah, that really does sound like some 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 psychology and some therapy sessions that that go on when you're dealing with that. Because if if the behavior is being either exacerbated or encouraged or brought on by the owner, you know, they might not be reflective enough to, to see that. And so to have you come along and kind of point that out in a concerned, supportive way, um, I, you know, like, as you mentioned, I'm sure some of them don't take it very well, but that must be really eye opening to them. I mean, interesting to be a fly on the wall whenever you have those kind of conversations.
2: Yeah. I, and it's tough because you have to be careful. You have to be very tactful with the questions you ask and the things you say, because, you know, you don't want to run the risk of uh, you know, offending anyone. Sure. But sometimes, if there's something that you see, that's something you notice as a dog trainer, and it's just so clear, you gotta point it out and say, "Hey, this may be the problem." Hmm. Um, Some people take it well; some people don't. Like I said, all you can do is
0: your best. How do you advertise these days? Are you still going up to people on the street and offering trainings, or um, what kind of what kind of marketing are you are you doing?
2: So, I do most of my uh, marketing on social media, mainly Instagram, but Facebook as well. So, what I do with social media, I use it as an opportunity to show everyone in my community that I serve, what we do, and what sets us apart everywhere else. Because when I first started this business back in 2010, social media wasn't very big. And I would see these companies that had all these dogs, and I knew that they were providing mediocre service. Because I would see their dog walkers, and their dog walkers would be on the phone all day. Uh, They'll they'll just sit in the park with a a pack of dogs on the bench and actually walk the dogs. Meanwhile, me and a couple of dog walkers that I had were out there, they you know giving these dogs outstanding walks. And I always wondered, I wonder if those dog owners know what they're missing out on. Mm. But with Instagram, with Instagram, social media, you can show people for free, yeah. pretty much. It does, it does require work. So I, I use that. I use social media mostly. Sometimes I do paid advertisements on social media. But I usually do that during the slow season. And during the, the busy season, I just document my time that I spend with the dogs and my dog owner's my dog walkers do the same thing. They just document the time that they spend with the dogs. They post videos, post pictures, and people see that. And we get a lot of clientele from there. But also, you know, every once in a while, if I'm out walking dogs and if I run into someone that you know, they bring the dog over to say hi to my dogs, I pet the dog, I ask them questions about the dog, and I'll give them my card and say, hey, do you ever need anything at all? You don't have to purchase anything. You need any advice at all? Hmm. Um, shoot me an email. And a lot of times, people, they'll shoot me an email asking me about some training advice. And next year, you know, they're a customer. So I will do that. Um, also on social media, what I'll do is I'll go, I'll type, I'll go into the location icon. I'll type in a location that I serve. And I'll look for someone that's in my, my target customer, which is someone between the age of 25 and 35 who's a dog owner. And if I see them on, uh, and I see they live in the area that I serve, I'll follow them. I'll comment on their dog. And sometimes I'll slide a DM and I'll say, "Hey, if you need anything at all, just let me know." Mm. And I get a lot of customers that way as
0: well. I I like that idea. I mean, that's that's really super targeted advertising at that point, free and And free. free. Yeah, super free. Uh, You know, if you're just going to a general location and going, "Who's posted about dogs here?" You know, that uh, that's a that's such a very interesting and unique way. I think to use these the social media platforms. And as you mentioned, it's free because everybody's already on there. So why not mm-hmm. use it to your advantage?
2: So say say if you have an Instagram page and you have these adorable videos and, and pictures of these dogs that you work with, uh, you know, you, you show off like how you're so much better than everybody else because, you know, you take your dogs on hikes, uh, you, you know, you may slip in some free dog training in there when you take care of dogs. Mm-hmm. And then you go on to someone's page and you comment, you follow and you like their picture. They're going to see, they're going to, most people are going to see, they're going to want to check out who liked their picture and who followed them. Mm -hmm. And they go onto your account and they see all this great work you're doing with their dogs. And as soon as they need someone, who who are they going to go to? Right. They're going to go to you first. And it's free. It just take. you could just do that for about 30 minutes a day. Take about 30 minutes, type in the locations that you serve, search every person that has a dog there, like their picture. You know, you can drop a comment. You could send them a direct message. Do that for about 30 minutes a day and that'll help your business substantially. Just that alone. There's a lot of other things you can do as well, but that alone will help substantially.
0: So what kind of pitfalls should people be mindful of when they start really investing and getting on social media?
2: Well, it, takes, it can take a lot of time. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Another thing is uh, it exposes you to criticism, ridicule, and trolls. Mm. For example, I once posted a picture with me and I had about five dogs with me although i had another handler another dog walker in mind i was walking these dogs with me but i just wanted to take a picture with all the dogs because people like to see pictures with a bunch of dogs together yeah and then i'll you know i'll have dog walk, you know a competition in my area they'll just you know make comments oh you walk so many dogs at one time that's not safe you're just in for profits when really we only walk 3 dogs per per handler so you you know you get stuff like that you get trolls but i feel like if you have trolls criticizing you and you have competition hating on you online. You're doing something. You're doing something really good. So if you have haters, that's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> you're doing something good. And the more haters you have, I mean, better job you're doing. Right. Um, yeah. So that's the only that's the only pitfall. Sure. And another thing is a lot of people are a little sh- a little bit shy to be behind a camera. You sh- you got to get over that. You know, you want to show your face because you want to show that you're the face of the brand for your business. Mm-hmm. And people remember faces better than they remember a business logo, or business name. If they see your face, you don't have, it doesn't have to be every picture, like every five pictures or so, show your face with the dogs or, or the faces of your dog walkers. It'll stand out more people will remember you more. And then if people, if it's in your area and they see you in the street, they'll say, hey, you know, I, I know you from, from Instagram and you can strike up a conversation that's a potential customer.
0: Because once again, you know, you're you're targeting the owners. So they're going to, they're searching for who's behind this, you know, and you're trying to humanize it a little bit. By showing your face, showing that you're interacting and showing some of the skills that you have and, and your techniques and some videos and really putting yourself out there so that people know, oh, that's the person I need to go to.
2: It's just a great tool. And I just love the fact they have this because it, it gives, cause especially nowadays in business, it's so hard having a small business and competing with these big companies. Mm-hmm. Social media kind of evens the score up a little bit because me personally, if, if, if I wasn't in the pet care industry or a dog trainer. And if I had a dog, I do I don't want to take my dog. And if I'm going on vacation, I want to leave my dogs. I don't want to leave my dog with some huge facility that has that's caring for like a hundred dogs at a time. I'd rather leave my dog with a professional in their home or have someone come to my home and stay with my dog. It's a lot more personable. It's safer because it's less dogs that are being uh, managed and it's it's more one-on-one care. I, I know my dogs were liking more. Yep. So I would rather have that and have some huge facility You just stick a bunch of dogs in. Because in New York City, you see that all the time. You see these little doggy daycares with a really small space, and you'll have like 20 dogs in a small space. Me, I'd rather have a small business. Someone who's really going to have a relationship with me and my dog, take care of my dog. And uh, social media gives those small businesses that power. And it's the only upper hand that we have against these huge businesses like WAG. To get a wag walk, I never actually like saw what the process is like. But when I heard, you just have to pretty much fill out a form. They do a, they do a quick background check on you, but they don't vet you very much. Right. And next, you know, you're out there going into these people's homes uh, and just walking these dogs. But with these smaller businesses like mine, like I, I vet my dog walkers. I give them a federal background check. I have to know who they are and, you know who they hang out with. I check their social media. I give them a six month probationary period where they shadow me or they shadow other dog walkers, and to, you know to prove that they have what it takes for me to trust them.
0: Right. Yeah. Um,
2: a lot of these big businesses, like why they don't they don't do all that.
0: Yeah, you're really taking the time to have there's have a lot better and and more and, and tighter oversight and control over quality and care. And, and the pr- people who are actually doing it so that you know who you're getting whenever you, whenever you uh, request your guys' services. Usually after the first question where somebody asks, how do I get started? Very shortly after the next question is, okay, now how do I grow this? And so what, what kind of advice would you give to, to pet care professionals, you know, dog walkers, pet sitters, about growing their business in 2020?
2: I uh, actually wrote a, a blog post about this on my Instagram recently. Okay. Um, what, <laughs> what you should do is uh, utilize social media, like I, like I mentioned. Post pictures every day. You don't have to post numerous pictures. Just one picture a day. About every five pictures of show or so, make sure your face is in it. Uh, when you utilize the captions, make sure you're posting things that are informative, funny, or interesting, so you can get like, an audience to actually read what you write. Also, if you want to spend money on advertising, this is something that I've learned through the years. So usually for me, the dog walking portion is always very slow in the summertime. It picks up in the fall and in the winter, and the springtime starts to slow down a little bit. So what I was doing before was in the fall and winter when I was making all this revenue from dog walks, I was spending big bucks on um, on, uh, advertising on social media and on Google AdWords. However, I started to realize that all the other walking companies were doing the same thing. When they were making a lot of money, I was spending a lot of money. So I had to compete. Every dollar I spent on my marketing had to compete with so many other people. Mm. Also, when you you do marketing on social media for free, it takes a lot of time. So if I'm very busy with all these walks that I have to do in the fall and the winter, I'm spending so much time on social media, it's taking away my time that I'm, I'm giving to the dogs. So what I did to change it was when it's very busy, I don't do any kind of paid marketing. I just focus on hunkering down and providing the best service possible and making sure that all the dogs have what they need. then mm-hmm. come up and then all the extra money I make, I'll just put that away, come to summertime when it's very slow. That's when I'll, I'll start spending marketing dollars on social media and Google AdWords. Because at that time, my competition isn't spending much money. So if I spend $10 on, you know, uh, say Instagram, uh, boosted post or on facebook that ten dollars is going to get me so much more than ten dollars in november mm. when everyone else is spending hundreds of hundreds of dollars a day sure but the problem is when you grow sometimes you become overwhelmed and the quality of service decreases so you want to grow without sacrificing quality of service so what you do is when it's busy just focus on customer service focus on the service you provide for the dogs and when it's not busy focus on marketing. Mm. And, and also, when it's it's very busy, what you want to do is you want to assess your customers and you want to assess your staff. So you want to make sure that the quality doesn't go down. So if you have any staff members that are underperforming or taking too many days off or being lazy or being careless, you want to get rid of them. Also, if you have a customer who's just makes you miserable and drives you crazy mm-hmm. he doesn't want to pay like you have to like chase after them for payments that's just impossible to please you want to get rid of that customer too especially if you, if you have a lot of business the reason why is if you have one bad customer who's just always nitpicking things that are constantly complaining about something who just never want to pay on time they're going to take up so much of your energy and so much of your resources that it's going to take away from your other customers. So what I would do in that situation, I would tell that customer, hey, I'm very sorry. It's just, you know, it just seems like you're not happy. So perhaps we're not the right fit for you. I really hope you find another dog walker that can suit your needs. You Let them go. And then you take on a new customer that's not going to take up so much of your time and resources. And you could use that time and resources on your current customers that are good customers. I tell people all the time, I'd rather have one really good customer than five really bad customers.
0: Because those five bad customers, yeah, they may be paying some time or maybe late. It's the the mental, emotional and just physical strain that those problematic customers place on you is just is is not worth it at the end of the day.
2: It's not it's it's, it's not.
0: yeah, it's something to just don't even bother trying to go down that road and talk yourself into doing it because Anybody will tell you who's gone down that you get burned time and time again.
2: If you're starting off and, you know, you're starving for business, I would say take on everybody, even the, the, the tough customers, because you will learn a lot. You will learn a lot from those tough customers. Sure, You will learn a lot about customer service and you will learn a lot about human behavior and a good book to read on how to manage people and their attitudes Mm. is how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. Mm. One of the best books I've ever read for business, and it's really helped my customer service a lot. Another thing you want to do if you want to grow without sacrificing service, if you have a dog walker or or any person or a dog sitter that works for you, anyone in your staff that shows initiative, that shows they care about your business, that actually want to make sales also and help the business grow and has the business best interest in mind, you want to invest in that that staff member. Mm. You want to pay them more. Perhaps, you know, if you're starting off and they're doing a good job of helping your business grow, perhaps offer them a piece of the company. But those are the ones that you really want to build your team around and build your company around. Because those are the ones that are going to, you know, to get a dog walking to show up every day and just do the basics, make sure every dog gets walked. It's easy to find those people. Right. But to find these people that want to help your business grow, that, you know, when a customer has a complaint, they tell you, don't worry, I got it. I'll take care of this customer. They take care of that customer. Those are the people you have to invest in. And I have a couple guys on my staff like that. And I have big plans for them as as the business grows.
0: Having a solid team that's invested in the same quality and services that you are and has some same vision and 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 really gather round, you know, those are worth more than most of the customers you'll come across because they really help encourage each other, build each other up, and then really help. Um, meet and exceed those expectations of the customers walking through the door that you as a you know, sole proprietor is trying to do it yourself would never in a million years be able to do.
2: Absolutely. Like at this point in my business, it's all about stress management for me. If I have a customer that's just, you know, giving me way too much stress, I say goodbye to them. Mm. Or if I have a staff member who gives me way too much stress, I say goodbye to them. And when I first started off my business, like I said, I was a horrible businessman. I would give people too many chances. And I just realized you just always get burned when you give people too many chances. So what I do now is I have a talk with the person just one time. And I've learned that after that one time, if you have that talk with them and things don't get better, it only gets worse. So you have that talk that one time. And after that, you got to say goodbye. Now, if you have a customer or, or a dog walker who's been great with you for many years and you've established a great rapport with him and you notice that, you know, things start to, turn for the worse got to have a little bit more leeway because you know customers and and staff members they're not robots they're human beings and like us they go through their ups and downs they go through their ruts
1: Mm.
2: and there may be something going on in their personal lives or something going on with them financially so you have to respect that and you have to be open and let them know that if that's the case just you know communicate with them that's all
0: communication is so huge and often often overlooked um, and when we're when, when we're busy doing you know trying to get the clients and dogs taken care of people need to be talking to one another and, and communicating problems and openly and that can get pushed to the side way too frequently
2: yeah people are just afraid to address things with uh, with one another uh, i see a lot of other small business owners who you know have uh, staff members that are not doing their job and they're afraid to to say something mm. can't be afraid i mean like I said, everything that I do now for my business is because I learned the hard way. Right. You know, I've been burned so many different times by people. You know, I've made so many mistakes. And now, you know, from all those mistakes, I've just learned so much from them. And I just know not to make the same mistakes again.
0: What do you wish more people knew about the life as a, as a pet sitter?
2: I wish they knew the sacrifice that we make. Like I said before, as a pet sitter, you're busiest on the weekends and on the holidays. So while everyone's partying, have a great time traveling, you're home taking care of their pets. Right. So what I wish people knew, especially dog owners, if you have a good dog sitter that you know that whenever you have to go on vacation, whenever you need to go away, you need to travel for work, that you can drop off that that dog with that person or have that person come into your house and you don't have to worry about your dog's safety or well-being. You don't have to worry about stealing something from your house that's so valuable and i think people don't realize how valuable that is because it's hard to find good dog sitters that are willing to, to provide that for you so if you have one that does provide that for you take care of them and be nice to them
1: <laughs> <laughs> be nice
2: to them um, you know don't give them a hard time because if you sh- you'll know if they're putting a good effort to take care of your dog it- it'll show your dog will tell you yeah so if that's the case take care of them and just realize it's, it's not an It's an it's not an easy job. People always tell me when I'm at, you know, functions or parties and people ask me, what do you do for a living? I tell them, you know, I'm a dog business, I do dog training, dog walking and dog boarding. Mm -hmm. They say, oh, that's the best job in the world, which it is for me. I love it. Yeah. But they don't realize the the hard work, you know, the the hours you put in, the seven days a week that you work. They don't realize, you know, all the issues that you have uh, managing customers, managing staff, uh, managing uh, books, bookkeeping. It's, very difficult it's very, extremely difficult job yeah it's
0: not easy yeah absolutely yeah it's it's we, we like to think it's all just rolling around in a giant field playing with puppies all day yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> but, which is what you know which is what i think a lot of people tend to think of is wow they just get to play with dogs all day yeah, and yeah. don't have to worry about a single thing but there is so much that goes into this the background the research the the, the dedication, the sacrifice, the, the education mm-hmm. and the trial and error, the team management, you know, the communication with customers and problem clients, like it's a, it, so much is wrapped into it. It gets, it gets complicated really fast.
2: Yeah. It's funny. Uh, there's a funny meme that I saw on Instagram recently that was, uh, it said something like uh, I'm a dog sitter. And then it had different images. What my mom thinks I do. Oh. <laughs> uh, what my what my friends think I do, what my customers think I do. Yeah. So with the mom, what my mom thinks I do, she thinks that you're just sitting on the couch just watching TV. Well, you know, you, there's a dog next to you. You know, your your customers think that you know you're neglecting your dog, yeah. or, or you know your friends think that you're just walking in a meadow with yeah. <laughs> with a bunch of like well-behaved dogs. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, and then they show and then it shows what you actually do, and it's like this stressed out dog walk that's covered in dog hair. <laughs> and and that's what it is. You know? yep. But the thing is that you love dogs and you're passionate about them, yeah. um, you're okay with that. Yeah. You, know, you love that.
0: I want to th- thank you so much for coming on and taking time out of your busy day to talk with us about dog training and business management and, and all of the you know, facets of that. But I know we've missed so much. So Miguel, if, if people were wanting to reach out for some more questions or helpful tips and, and follow along with your work, how could they get in touch with you?
2: Sure, they can. Uh, uh, um, Instagram is my is my biggest thing, so mm. you can follow me on Instagram. If you want to follow my business page where I actually work with the dogs. You can follow me on City Dog Pack on Instagram and Facebook, mm. and I also have a professional page that I just started. I'm trying to build, and it has information on how to build your dog business. And mm. I'm also going to be interviewing different uh, dog businesses uh, and interesting people in the dog industry. Okay. You can follow Dog Biz TV on Instagram and Facebook for that. And thank you for having me on. You have a great podcast. I listen to all your episodes through, uh, throughout the holiday, oh. the holiday week we just had. Oh. And you're doing a phenomenal job. I just have one recommendation to your podcast.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So the other day, uh, I had five dogs I was boarding in my house. It's the holidays. So obviously, it's very busy. Yeah. Put my daughter to sleep. I took the dogs on a long walk. <laughs> then I, I brought them back in my house. They were nice and tired. They were settled in. I fed them so they were fat, happy. They were nice and tired. And I put your podcast on. Uh-huh. And the theme song that comes on <laughs> with the dogs barking. <laughs> Made all my dogs bark, woke up my daughter.
0: <laughs> oh no. Okay. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> so you can just work on an intro because most of your audience have dogs.
0: Okay. Okay. We will we'll tone down the dog barking. I will do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank du- you very much. Duly noted. Thank you so much. All the best. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. Since recording this episode, Miguel has actually started offering some online and virtual dog training seminars where he educates not only Pet owners, but also pet sitters on dog behavior and wonderful training techniques. So definitely check out both of his Instagram accounts to see when he's offering one next. Miguel is a rich resource of information that pet sitters should know and have access to. I really appreciate his candor discussing his business and what he does to manage employees and problematic clients. We've all been there and have so much to learn from in that case. We love hearing stories from you when everybody is sharing, we are all growing together. So if you could give us a call, so give us a call at 636-364-8260 and leave us a voicemail about what's going on in your life. You can also check out our website, PetSitterConfessional.com, for extensive show notes and all kinds of links, including a link to Time to Pet, who sponsored this week's episode. We'll talk again soon.